we're coming back to, um, we're coming back, there we go, to Titus today. And uh, wondering how you all are doing right now with our memory verses. Remember Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. And I, like, I've come up with, well, the Lord has revealed to me like four different points. And, and Jasper is preaching this one. Um, but the Lord continues as I pray this over my family and my church. As I pray this passage, as I work to memorize it, he has brought four things that are helping me. So I'm praying that that will be helpful for you. Four, four verses, four, four kind of key thoughts as it relates to each one. Remember, verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for everyone. He is his for all people. So that is his saving grace being expressed through the cross of Jesus Christ to you and me. Verse 11 is his, an expression of his saving grace. Verse 12 is his training grace, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live upright and godly lives, self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. He gives us his, his saving grace, bringing us into relationship with him, He extends to us his training grace, and this is where it gets hard, because he's training us to look more like him, because the word of God and God's reputation himself is at stake because of you and me, depending on how we receive the word of God. Verse 13 is anticipating grace as we wait. We just sang about it. Amazing truth. He is coming again. Um, as we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He saves us, saving grace. He trains us, training grace. We have this anticipating grace that's placed on our heart for his return. And that in verse 14 is our motivation, our motivating grace, his motivating grace, who, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, praise God, that we would be considered a possession owned by God himself and those who then are zealous for good works. He brings us saving grace, training grace, anticipating grace, motivating grace. That is the fullness of our relationship to God through Jesus Christ as we see here in his word. Just these simple four verses. Pretty crazy, huh? So I wonder how you're doing with your memorizing of those four verses. Hopefully that will be a help for you. We want you to memorize it, all right? Last week was fun. Psalm 103, we, we find this corner in wherever you choose to sit at a table with Jesus himself, working through Psalm 103, he hands you a highlighter and he says, hey, listen, I want you to look at the things that declare who you are in this psalm. And then I want you to look at the things that declare me in this psalm. And you are, you are cut to the core because we have nothing to bring to the table except for our transgressions, our iniquities, our sin. We have nothing. And then God in his, his holy and gracious unfairness does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And here's what's pretty amazing. I wish I, I'm like, I wish I had one more thing to say from last week. And so realizing I can preach today, that I'm preaching today, I get to say it. So you remember the yellow, you highlighted your sins, your transgressions, your iniquities, the places where you fall short, your life is short, you aren't gonna live very long, you're given a momentary um, opportunity for influence. And then God 
slides his red highlighter across the table. And he says, now I want you to cover everything that mentions you with red because I got it covered. You don't have to worry about it. I got it covered through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross that he shed for you and me to bring us into relationship with him. That was fun. Last week was a lot of fun. Now we're back into Titus. And through Titus, he brings his church to the mat. Paul is saying to Titus in this letter, hey, listen, I have a desire to see the churches on the island of Crete, island of Crete healthy. And right now they're not healthy. In chapters, chapter one, so if you would now, please turn to Titus chapter one. That's where we're going to be. To, actually, we're going to be starting chapter two. But in Titus chapter one, we see Paul addressing why the churches in Crete are unhealthy. While truth is refreshing, it's also hard. Life is lived in God's training grace. And so his training grace is being expressed here in the book of Titus, the letter to Titus. I want to remind you as we look at this again, when we, when we talk about being a calibrated church, here's all we're saying is we want the church to look what, like what the Bible says we are supposed to look, taking on the likeness of Jesus Christ. That is verse chapter two, verse 13, 12, where he is training us, right? Calibrated, a church that works, not for salvation. We know that. We want to make sure you remember this as we, we talk about a church that works. We're not working for salvation. We're working because of salvation. All that Jesus Christ has done for us, our motivation to serve him and being zealous for his good works. All right? So here we go. What determines a healthy church? The first, the first chapter, um, Paul shares with us, shares with Titus, that it's important that the leadership of the church be healthy. And so here's what I want. You have corrupt, there are corrupt people in these churches. And right now I want you to install elders. Those who would be men of godly character and integrity. Verse one, or chapter one says, ones that would be above reproach, the husband of one wife, the children are believers. They're not open to charges of debauchery or insubordination. Those you would place as elders and overseers in the church should be God's stewards and they must be above reproach, not arrogant, quick-tempered, or a drunkard or violent. They must be hospitable, lovers of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. They must hold firm to the trustworthy word as it's taught so that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. A healthy church, a calibrated church, begins with a group of leaders, a group of men who were determined to fulfill these biblical obligations of leadership. Character, men of godly character and integrity. So imagine now that Summit Church was actually led by a group of men that the Cretan church actually had existing in the life of their church, Suppose, suppose the leadership of Summit looks something like this. Men who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. Men who must be silenced because they're teaching, they're upsetting whole families and they're teaching for selfish and shameful gain. 
They are lazy, they are gluttonous, they are liars, they are evil beasts. They deserve to be rebuked sharply so that they would be sound in the faith. They profess to know God, but their lives declare otherwise. What if Summit was led by a group of men like that? I don't think we'd last very long. Actually, I'm not sure we would, over the course of time, be able to call ourselves a church. Because as the leadership leads, so will the church follow. But praise God that he has given us men who are willing to submit to the authority of the scripture, led by the Holy Spirit, seeking with all of their might to fulfill these qualifications for leaders in the church. Now listen, I want to say this. We're not perfect. And yesterday, man, if you, if you can relate to me in this, fall has come, so we're not perfect. So this is my confession to you. Leaves are falling. You have your backpack blower on your back. You have your ear protection on. Protect your ears. And you're blowing leaves, and God determines gust of wind It's going to send the leaves back at you. You know that, right? So what are you mad at? You're mad at the leaves? And because of the sound of the leaf blower, you're thinking, no one's going to hear me. No one's going to hear me. So you're blowing leaves, boom, gust of wind, the leaves come back in your face. I had a few things to say to the leaves. <laughs> that praise God, the leaf blower was running. Now, listen. Then you stop blowing leaves. You turn the leaf blower off. You don't take your ear protection off. And it happens again. And what if I would have said the same choice words while there was no leaf blowers and my neighbors are in their front yards? All of a sudden, I am not a man who is declaring by his life and by his words, a man who is above reproach in all things. This is where I praise God for his grace and his mercy because he knows while he has called us to these types of character qualities, he knows we are going to fail. Healthy, a church that is healthy is led by leadership that is healthy. That's what Paul addressed to Titus in chapter one. And that brings us today to chapter two. We're going, only gonna look at two verses today, chapter two. Verse one is for everybody, okay? Because over the next four weeks, today being the first one, we're going to see what Paul has to say about what makes a church healthy or a church that is calibrated to the word of God, a church that begins to look like the word of God more and more. Today, he has a word for the older men. Next week, he's going to speak to the women. And I say this in fun. I love it that I get to address the men. Guess who gets to address the women next week? It's Jasper. I'm very happy for that one. Actually, it was supposed to be me, but Jasper, he had a conflict, so now I have to cover another day for him, and he gets to do that one. So praise God for his sovereign control over that. <laughs> it's not going to be that bad, ladies. The week after that, younger men, you're going to be spoken to. And he has one thing to say to you because you have your hands full with yourself. Three weeks from now. All right, young men, I see you over there. <laughs> Actually, he's going to talk to you today as well. 
Um, and then the week after that, he's speaking to anyone that would be in a relationship where you have an authority over you. He calls it bond servants. So those who were slaves back in the day, um, at the end of this like four week message on a calibrated church, he's going to be speaking to what he calls bond servants. Um, we can liken it to it speaking to you as it relates to you being in a position where anyone is over in authority over you, Okay. But verse one applies to all of us today while there is something coming today for the men in verse two. So if you would now, let's look at Titus two, verses one to two. This is what the word of God says to us. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Verse two, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Today's sermon is calibrated men. And what does it take? Well, the first verse speaks to all of us. Big question for us to wrestle with today. What does it take for the church, for men in the church, to be properly calibrated to the word of God? What does it take? That's the question we want to answer today. Here's the first one, all right? Write this one down, please. This is what it takes. It takes spiritual leadership willing to press sound doctrine. Put the three little dots after that. And hearts are willing to receive it. It takes leadership that's willing to press sound doctrine and what accords to it, or with it, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But it also requires a heart in the church to be able to receive what sound doctrine has to say. All right, so here we go. Look at verse one. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now we know that Paul wrote this to Titus. Titus is delivered to the elders, and now this is what is supposed to be for the church on the island of Crete. But as for you, who is is spiritual leadership? Well, right now it's simple enough to look back at chapter one and know that, okay, he's clearly speaking with elders. He's clearly speaking to Titus. He's speaking to elders. But right now, as for you, how does this apply to the one who is not an elder? Well, I would propose this to you. This passage still applies to you because of this. If you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, He will bring you to a place at some point in your life where you are in a position of spiritual leadership. He's going to bring you to it. If you are in relationship with him, you will come to, there will come a day where you will have an understanding of doctrine more than someone else that he has placed in your life. And it is your responsibility to be someone that declares sound doctrine and what accords with it. So you don't escape it right now. Maybe you're in a position right now where you don't have that in your life. Someone that is, someone that is, needs instruction. But the day will come where you will have someone in your life. So if you are in relationship with Christ, let's be clear, you need to pay attention because this applies to you. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Why is it necessary to teach what accords with sound doctrine? Well, first, let's talk about this. Sound doctrine is just simply, what does the word of God have to say? All right? 
Here's the challenge with this. What is sound doctrine and what is what accords with sound doctrine? Sound doctrine is what the Bible has to say. So it's on us, it's on the leadership of the church to declare this is what the Bible has to say. Here's the danger. If that's where we stop, if your intention is to come and to listen and to be taught simply what sound doctrine is, here's, here's the problem with that. It ends up getting stuck in your head. And as the Bible says, you become puff, puffed up with knowledge about what the Bible has to say. So Paul says to Titus, I want you, I want you, spiritual leader, to be one who declares sound doctrine and what accords with it. So what does that mean? Here's simply what it means. Teaching what accords with sound doctrine is, I understand what sound doctrine is. I understand what the Bible has to say. Now, how do I take it and how do I apply it to life? So taking, as we like to say, the head knowledge of the scripture and working it in such a way, what accords with sound doctrine and letting it, helping it to sink into the heart and bring everlasting change to the individual through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to accord with sound doctrine. Here's an example. Colossians 2, 6 to 8 were a really big deal to me a long time ago in a very deep and dark valley where doctors were telling me, you must do this, you have to consider this. Colossians 2, 6 to 8 says this. Now, therefore, since you have accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, this is the doctrine God taking in my life in, an, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a deep and dark valley and, and pressing it into my heart, pressing it into my heart through life's experience. So he was taking the sound doctrine and driving it into my heart, showing me what accords with sound doctrine. Therefore, since you have accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, he says, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in your faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Amazing. All of that because I have accepted Christ Jesus Lord. He has has come into my life, gifted me with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this, this world rather than on Christ. All right? So he's talking about false teachers here. But how does that apply to me when my wife is laying in a coma in a hospital and doctors are telling me this and this and this and this? Doctors, what they know today, praise God for what they know, all they know is based on human tradition and what? The basic principles of this world. That's what they know rather than on Christ. So, all right, Todd, why do you tell us that? How does that doctrine apply to your life? Here's how it applies to my life. The doctors don't have the final say peace. For in Christ, it goes on to say, all the fullness of the deity is in bodily form, and you have been given him who is the head over everything. Doctor doesn't have a final say. Praise God for that. God is the one that has the final say. Yes, praise God for some of the basic principles of this world, but God is the one that has the final say. Who knows all things? That's what it means for doctrine to sink into the heart of the individual, and I praise God for that every day. I praise God for that every day. 
So what's at stake if we are ones who get puffed up with doctrine and don't let it play out in our lives? Here's what's at stake. The reputation of the word of God and the reputation of God himself. If we are ones who declare we are in relationship with Jesus Christ and we live in ways that are contrary to what scripture has to say or contrary to what doctrine has to say, we are profaning the word of God and we are profaning his holy name. That's what's at stake. So, in other words, here's what's at stake when I'm blowing the leaves. If God determines that the leaves are blowing back on me and I respond in a way that doesn't express self-control, which we're gonna learn that men must be self-controlled, I've just profaned the name of Christ. When it tells me I'm supposed to be self-controlled, I express a lack of self-control and I profane God and his word as a follower of his. I don't wanna do that. I absolutely don't wanna do that. The reputation of the word of God, you will see later on, verse five says, um, when he's speaking to the older women that they're supposed to be kind, they're supposed to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, goes on, that the word of God may not be reviled. We must live as Christ wants us to live so that the word of God is not reviled. Verse 10 goes on to say to the bondservant that they're not to be pilfering, they're, not, they're there to show all good faith, but so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. There it is in the word of God. This is what's at stake. If we don't live like the scripture tells us we're supposed to live, if we don't let doctrine fall into our hearts and bring an everlasting change, this is what's at stake. The reputation of the word that we declare here and the reputation of God himself. They kind of go together, right? That's what's at stake. So let's go back to the point. Spiritual leadership, leaning, leaning, being willing to bring what accords with sound doctrine to the life of the church and a heart that's ready and willing to receive it. Here's what now, I want you to think parent, parent, teacher, elder, anyone that's in a position of spiritual authority right now, I want you to think about this. What is it that saps your energy when you're trying to bring what accords with sound doctrine into the lives of those you love? What is it that saps your energy? It's when they don't listen, right? When they don't listen. Let that be a conviction to you to listen to what the word of God has to say. What is it that brings you energy, spiritual leadership that's energized? It's when hearts that are ready to receive and they actually do. And you see those in your life based on what the word of God is doing and declaring, you see them growing as a result of it. That's what energizes. Church, we want our deeds to match our words. We want our actions to be in line with what we declare. We want our lives to declare we believe the doctrine we actually profess. So I want you to fill in the blank here. Think of those in your life right now. Why wouldn't this person come to Summit Church? Because I've heard this. I love what that church teaches. I absolutely love what that church teaches. But because I saw what this person does, I'm not coming there because hypocrisy. They declare this one thing 
And then we have this individual who is alive. Life is declaring something completely different. So here's what I want you to think through. Who in my life would not come to Summit Church because of the way I live outside the church? Or maybe the way I behave inside the church. Why wouldn't they come? So think about your actions in your front yard blowing leaves to the way you run your business, to the way you parent your kids in the grocery store, to the way you behave at the lunch table in the classroom, to the list goes on and on. Why wouldn't someone come to Summit Church based on the way you are behaving? That's what Titus is trying to, Paul is trying to get after in, through Titus to us. That we would respond to what accords with sound doctrine, sound doctrine, so that the name of God is not profane, nor is his word. What does it take for the church to be calibrated or healthy? It's that you would have, the church would have spiritual leadership who is willing to teach what accords with sound doctrine and hearts that are willing and ready to receive it. All right, that's the first thing. What makes a church to be calibrated? What makes a church to be healthy? Here we go, man. Are you ready? I'm sitting there, Lord, how do I, how do I address this one? He said, this is what I, he convicted me. This is what I want you to say. Simply that men would care. Simply that men would care. Or like, or say, okay, Todd, so what do you mean by that? What do you think God meant by that? When he's like, as you're reading over this passage and he drops this into your head and then down into your heart, simply that men would care. Look at verse two. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. It could be read sound in the faith, sound in love, and sound in steadfastness. Who are the older men? So right now you're like, oh man, older men that care? What, how do I know if I qualify as an older man? Because right now, if I'm you, if I'm like 49, I'm like, praise God, based on what John MacArthur would have to say, I can wait a year for this to count. <laughs> but it for sure means men in their 80s, it for sure means men in their 70s. It for sure means men in their 60s. It most likely means men in their 50s. I'm 53. I count. But it's really, really, it's for men 50 and older. And now the 49-year-old that's, that's 11 months or one month away from his birthday is like, praise God, this doesn't apply to me. But I'll tell you this, even as it relates to the young men, even as it relates to young men. If you are not an older man right now, here's what I promise. These things still apply to you because you don't want to wait until you're an old man to get these things figured out. Because like an old man that struggles with his self-control while he's blowing leaves, I wish I would have gotten control of that when I was 18 years old. Because men, as we live lives where we don't pay attention to what God is having, has to say, and we keep living contrary to the scripture, we're not calibrated with it, we're not healthy, what we do is we start digging these deep ruts. And then when we are an older man, 50 or older, then when we get to that age, it is hard to come out of that rut. So, as the Holy Spirit convicts you 
man. You need to receive that whether or not you're willing to accept that this applies to you today, it will eventually. So what God is saying, get control of it now. That's what he's saying. Don't dig the rut. All right, so now we know older men, I think I have the attention of all the men, I hope, because it's gonna apply to you someday. You said, Todd, your point is this, older men, that they would simply care. Care about what? Care about what? Well, number one, it's your testimony. It's how, how you permit the word of God to come to bear in your life. Look, God, we know this. Our motivation is, is driven by what he has done for us. It's driven by what he has done for us. He has made us his own possession by redeeming us from lawlessness. He has made us his, our, his own possession by purifying us and making us one of his and bringing us into everlasting relationship with him. That's what he's done for us. And so we should have the eternal desire in our heart to represent the very one that did all of that for us. Simply men that we would care about our testimony and that through our testimony is declared the purity of the word of God and God himself. Care about what? Your testimony. Here's the next one. As your testimony comes to bear, as you are a spiritual leader that God has designed in whatever relational situation you're in, that the souls who are under your spiritual care are provoked to conviction and comfort by the word of God as you live it out. That's what you should care about. You're like, you know what? I am absolutely tired. Men, I'm tired. I am tired of being challenged at work Things don't go the way you want. I am tired of being challenged by this breaking down, by that person telling me what to do. I am challenged over and over at work. And then I go home and guess what? I'm challenged at home. Tired of being challenged. Nothing's in order. Nothing's in order at work. Nothing's in order at home. I am just tired. Now I come to church and I get challenged again at the church. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. What's our memory verse? Scroll back up here. I'm gonna get lost. Here's our memory verse. God brings us into relationship with him, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's what he's doing. That's what we're in right now. He is training us as you're challenged at work, as you're challenged at home, as you're challenged at church to live in a way that honors God and his word. He is training us. Training us, it's necessary. And this is what he says, older men, we are to be sober-minded, we are to be dignified, we are to be self-controlled, we are to be sound in faith, we are to be sound in love, 
and we are to be sound in steadfastness. Listen, as hard as this is for us at times, I I promise you this, based on what the word of God has to say, it is refreshing. It is refreshing when the word of God takes grip of your heart and you start living in accordance with what it has to say and that we together men become these things, sober-minded, which means I'm not into excess, not into excess in anything. It's not just speaking about alcohol. It's anything in life that you would, would be a temptation for you to have in excess, to, to, to take part in in excess. Sober-minded means you're not in excess. It means to not be self-indulgent. You're not about yourself, you're about others. It means that you are moderated. You are living a life of contentment and other people see it. Ladies, right now, like where's your heart? Because if you're loving this for your husband right now, what's that love feel like for you? You're like, oh yeah, Todd, get it because he needs to hear this. That's wrong. That's wrong. Yeah, he probably does need to hear it. But your heart should be one of humility driven to prayer for your husband because it's a high calling. It's a high calling to be in the position he's in. So guard your heart, okay? Sober-minded. That's what we're supposed to look like. Content, moderated. We're to be dignified. This means that you've seen, you see the seriousness in life and you only laugh at what is actually laughable. Dignified. It comes from a life where you've buried people, you've been in battles, You know what it means to behave, dignified. You don't need to be the center of attention. You don't need to be the one who's always laughed at. You're willing to be second or third or fourth or not even noticed. That's what dignified means. When I see this, the only thing, the only guy that comes to mind is like the uh, most interesting man in the world from Dos You know that commercial? Like gray hair, beard, everyone wants to know him. He's able to do everything. He can wrestle with lions and comes out victory, victorious. That's who I think of. This is what God thinks of. Dignified means. Life has trained me and taught me. He is preeminent and I am not. And I'm willing to be in the position that he has for me. Sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Doesn't curse when the leaves blow doesn't give in to temptation. He is self-controlled. He is sound in faith. Life has punched him in the face over and over, has punched him in the gut over and over with hardship after hardship, and he is not moved because he is sound in the faith. God has proven himself to him over and over and over again, and he trusts in him completely. That's what it means to be sound in the faith. Sound in love means you're not bitter. You're someone who is liked. You are someone who is loved by others because you love and you like the way God does. This is what older men should look like. Finally, sound in steadfastness. Willing to do the hard things. Standing in the face of hard things bringing his family to church instead of coming because his wife wants him to. He's one in steadfastness that is willing to have the hard purity conversations with his son. 
He's sound in steadfastness because he's willing to let his child get hurt in order to learn. A man who is sound in steadfastness is willing to get between his family and that which would harm them. I'm I'm not just talking about a bullet or a bully. I'm talking about the sin that so easily sneaks its way into the life of the family. That's what it means to be sound in steadfastness. If I could put it in one statement, it's men that care and they know what matters. And they're willing to get after it. Here's the way I look at it. What does it take for a church or for men to be calibrated? It takes spiritual leadership willing to press sound doctrine and what accords with it. It means that your heart, my heart, must be ready to receive what the word of God has to say and how I'm supposed to live. And a church is calibrated when its men are. When its men are. Hey men, listen, tired, right? Tiring, it's tiring, it's tiring. I don't need to be challenged one more Sunday. Let's have another Psalm 103. All right? We need those. We need the Psalm 103 Sundays. Refreshing, fun. But we also need this, don't we, men? Paul says this in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is the heart of men. It should be the heart of men. Listen, I'm tired, I'm tired. That's why we listen to verse 29, which says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy. Not mine, his. Struggling with his energy that he powerfully works within me. Listen, this is the wrap, all right? Here's the way I envision the world today. Time is short, men. Let's get after it together. I imagine this eternal-sized pillar called the gospel message of Jesus Christ through the word. And there are seven and a half billion cars. So that represents each individual on the face of the planet. Seven and a half billion cars. All thinking that their idea is the best way to live life. So you can understand the conflict we have in the world today. Seven and a half billion, this is Bjorn's analogy this morning in the doctrine class. We have seven and a half billion people with which to deal with. And they're all running straight toward this pillar of the word of God. It causes a response. And most are piling up in this seven billion car pile up at the, foot of the, at the foot of this pillar called the word of God. I don't want my family to be there. I don't want to be there. I don't want to see my church there. I want to see them responding. The, the word of God brings a necessary response. We see in Acts chapter two and three, you're either cut to the heart or you grind your teeth at it. You either put the gas pedal down and you slam right into it to your own destruction or you ease to a stop at its foot and you accept what it has to say. Let's together, men, let's together, church, listen to what the word of God has to say so that we're not profaning the name of Christ nor his word. Thanks, guys. It's hard for us to hear, isn't it? Father in heaven, 
come before you right now. Understanding that the conviction of the Holy Spirit that comes when your word is presented to us is not easy, and I know you know that. I pray, God, that your word now would settle into the hearts of each one that is heard. Lord, strengthen us according to your might, according to your strength. And may we be found living life in your strength and not our own. Thank you for your wonderful grace that you've given to save us, for bringing us into everlasting relationship with you. And now, Lord, may we live for your sake and not our own. We pray this in Jesus' name.